0: Welcome to the Midlife Masculine Podcast. My name is Drew Sethi and join me on this journey of becoming an objective, independent, self-sovereign thinker and doer. The Masculine maintains structure in our families and society, even when it's underappreciated. This always begins with the acquisition of knowledge, ancient or modern, obscure or mainstream. Regardless, we will acquire knowledge together on this show. Find us on mlmpod.info and all major podcast platforms. Please like, share, subscribe, and hit the bell. I want to take this time to wish all my listeners a happy new year. Welcome to another episode of the Midlife Masculine Podcast. Paul Zollman is a love language linguist. Paul is the international best-selling author of The Role of Love. Now, Paul has created a new way to demonstrate the principles of love languages. Welcome, Paul.
1: Thank you very much, Drew. Glad to be with you here today.
0: Great to have you, Paul. And before we get into the meat of the episode, what is a love language linguist?
1: A love language linguist is someone that knows the five love languages. Five Love Languages actually was a book that was written by Dr. Gary Chapman. He was a reverend, a pastor of a church, and he said that those love languages reconcile to the life of Jesus Christ. So the five love languages are gifts. He had the gifts of the Spirit. Service, he served everybody. Words, we say nice words to people, kind words, one another. Uh, we, We have the scriptures to benefit from that as far as Jesus Christ goes. He touched people's eyes so they could see and their ears so they could hear. So touch is one of those love languages. The whole theory is... Uh, time is another one, and then and then gifts. The whole theory is Drew that that every person has a primary love language, some way that they like to be loved, and so he, he distilled it into five different love languages. And that's so one might be a primary love language, or there might be a secondary love language, but there's usually one or or two that are really dominant love languages, and that's the whole theory behind that.
0: And to figure out what our love language is, there's, we can just Google the love language and just do a quick test, right? And they'll essentially tell us our primary and secondary love language.
1: That's the that's old way to do it, Drew. I have a, a, a new way. I think it's a lot better. Uh, you don't have to say, excuse me, could you pause this relationship for a minute so I can have you take this survey so I know how to love you. That's awkward. What I do now is that, that I, I put all the love languages on a cube. And I'm holding up the cube right now. It's about one inch by one inch cube. And each each side has a love language on it. So whatever it is that you roll that day, you practice giving that away all day that day. While you're giving it away, you're using your observation skills. Those observation skills are watching for people that light up. When they light up, now you've discovered, without having to take survey, you've discovered what their primary or secondary love language might be. You're just going to take a mental note. That's what they like. And then you can deliver that over and over again to them
0: so kind of like an iterative process where you learn about them over the course of time rather than doing a test where some where an online test essentially tells you what it is so you discover them in the process
1: absolutely so it really is is true to the fact because they're you're watching their body language you're watching their whole reaction the test can be skewed i mean if you know you're taking a survey you can say well maybe this maybe that and it really can be skewed that way you can't you can't skew body language you can't skew the light up you can't there's no way to do that it's really a surprise a very nice surprise for people that light up and when they light up bingo you got it
0: Okay, so before we move on, I'm just going to list those five love languages again. And please correct me if I'm wrong. The first one was uh, quality time. So we perhaps quality time is one of our love languages where we like our romantic partners, family or friends spending quality time with us. And that's how we feel love. Number one. Number two is words of affirmation. Number three, we like them buying gifts for us. Number four, perform acts of service for us and number five affection or physical touch towards did i get them right
1: you got all five of them but drew i i really had a problem with the direction i came from a family of abuse so i really didn't know the love languages that that way at all all i all i knew was how to walk over people while they're talking i knew how to put people down so that i would be elevated i knew i knew how to to talk smack talk all the time i knew how to be verbally abusive or physically abusive I learned all that as a child and and unfortunately my parents taught that to me so I had to unlearn a lot of that and really I didn't get the love languages as dr. Chapman wrote it so what I realized is that dr. Chapman I, I felt like he changed direction in the book constantly Almost every single page. Well, what direction is going now? Is it to them or is it for me? And it really, really bothered me that way because I couldn't figure it out. And so this new way, there's just two instructions for the cube. You roll the cube every day. Whatever comes up, that's the love language you practice giving away all day that day to everybody. Every single person. You're giving it away. No longer, Drew, is it about you or me. I'm sorry. and I mean, you probably are totally disappointed because of that. But when you give it away and you make somebody's day, it's great satisfaction that you get that you made somebody's day. To me, that's love. That's what giving love away or receiving love is. It's satisfaction that you're doing something wonderful for someone else. And that is going to be self-love or it's going to be love for them. It's kind of a a double-edged sword there that you're going to get both at the same time. If you make somebody's day, they're going to spread that goodness to their circle of influence as well and make their day better. And the same thing will happen at Anchor. You make somebody miserable, they're going to make everybody else around them miserable, and they're going to call it a bad day, and they're going to make everybody's day bad.
0: No, I totally agree with you. Giving love or expressing it to someone else, seeing a smile on someone else's face, making their day, knowing that they're gonna make the day of ten more people after you—that that is a special feeling. I, I totally agree with you. I listened to your audiobook. And I have to say that it was very simple, very practical. And what I like the most about it is that you related it to your life and your upbringing, which I think would help men understand this a lot better. It would be a lot easier for them to understand it. And it's a very short book as well. So I strongly recommend men either downloading it uh, as an audiobook or picking up a hard copy. Uh, it could save their romantic relationships.
1: Great. Thank you, Drew, for, do, for doing that. Um, you know, the discovery that I had of this was really about 15 years ago, and I was really kind of having a, a midlife crisis. This anger that I had, I had a lot of residual anger left over from my childhood. And what I found was what was happening, Drew, was that I'd be stacking one annoyance on top of another annoyance on top of another on top of, until it actually became a blow and have this flash of anger that would come out. I would never know when it was going to happen because i couldn't remember how many times i've been annoyed but there was one straw that broke that camel's back and it just as i got to that point i would flash it would happen in public and it would happen in private and it was just really embarrassing i don't know if you've ever gone swimming and someone has an accident in the swimming pool everybody scatters it wasn't me it wasn't me it was me and 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 you don't want it to be you but but you scatter, and I had that that same feeling. I was repelling people; that people were going away from me. Even my family would go away from me. I did not want that to happen anymore. But unfortunately, for my first marriage, it was too little, too late, and it really was contributory to the demise of my first marriage. I had eight children, and there were five left in the house. I had primary custody of those children. And what happened is that this became a midlife crisis. So what, what I did in that midlife crisis, I thought, I'm going to have some fun. Just like a lot of people in the midlife crisis say, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to do something fun. And so what I decided is that when my ex-wife had the children on her weekend, I was going to have a date. And I'd, I'd find these people online and the, we, they'd live in a different city. I would live in a different city. We'd decide a city to meet in. And we have what I call a destination date. I had a great time. I went to Daytona Beach, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee, Kansas City, New York City, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Snowflake, Arizona, Cabo San Lucas. Went to all these places and a few more having a date. It was like the, the lyrics of the song, looking for love in all the wrong places. I didn't find anything. I had a great time. But I didn't find anything. I spent a lot of money. I spent more than $10,000 on this midlife crisis having dates all around, you know, all around the, at least North America. And it was it was fun, but, you know, I thought I had a line on someone. And it. Um, so I moved to Phoenix, and it just didn't turn out. So here I am all alone. Uh, uh, I had three children left in the household. My ex-wife decided she wanted primary custody after three and a half years of being on her own and she wanted primary custody, but she w- was moving in with her own parents. I thought, you know what? I never had that opportunity. I'm number 10 of 11 children. I didn't have that opportunity to see my grandparents very often at all. I had one grandmother that moved that was 350 miles east, one grandmother that was 350 miles west, We were kind of right in the middle, and my both my grandfathers had passed away before I was even born. So I didn't have that opportunity for much association with grandparents. I thought this would be perfect for those children, those last three children, to get to know their grandparents, at least on the mother's side. So I relinquished custody. Now I'm really all alone. In that time period, my my sister, my older sister, thinks that I'm lonely. She calls me up and says, I have this neighbor that I want to introduce to you and my sister was living seven and a half hours away. I said, sister, you know what? I'm done with destination dating. I didn't find anything then. Why do I think that I would ever find it now? I've been doing it for a year and a half. Nothing's materializing. And as number 10 of 11, you kind of have to do what your big brother, big sister say say to do. So I said, okay, well, I will email this woman. And so I'm emailing this woman and I'm getting brave. So by the fourth or or fifth interchange, I'm starting to ask, well, how many times have you been married? That's a pretty heavy question when you're just having an email conversation. And so she wrote back and she said, counting the five that are buried in the backyard? And I started roaring with laughter. I thought, this is the funniest lady I've ever, ever met. I've got a live wire. I've got somebody worth pursuing. She's got a sense of humor. She got some perso- has some personality. I want to pursue this a little bit. So we started getting cl- a little bit closer, and then I decided to move up there. We became serious. When we became serious, now it's time for big brother approval. So I go 300 miles north with her into my brother's house. First thing my sister-in-law does is pull her aside and say, the only emotion that the Zollman family learned growing up was anger. At first I denied and said, uh-uh. It made me mad. And I thought, huh, I'm busted. She really nailed it. And we're still getting ma- mad and angry. And I realized, Drew, Dr- that at that very moment, that there's an opportunity here, a, a midlife crisis type of opportunity, that I can change that perception of the Zolman family. And so I started to. I realized I was in a, um, a culture that of anger that had angry vocabulary, they had angry humor, sarcasm, and putting people down and just all that smack talk and all everything else that goes with the angry culture. I didn't want to do that anymore. If that was the perception, I don't want to pass that on to my children. I don't want to pass it on to my grandchildren. I want it to stop. I want the generational thing to stop right now, here and now. It stops with me. So I started reading a book called The Color Code. It was more about personality tests, and it was okay. Then I started to move to the five love languages. As I move into the five love languages, I've gone through the book four or five times. Like I told you, Drew, I'm not getting it. They, what, from where I came from to, to what he's suggesting wasn't working for me. Dr. Chapman, Drew, suggests that, well, if I guess, Drew, what your love language is and cater to that, we're going to be buddies. I'm a bad guesser. It wasn't happening up until that time, and it still wasn't going to be happening. So the second thing that uh, Dr. Chapman has said, well, if you take this survey, then you can find out what your love language is. Well, Drew, what am I supposed to do with that? Advertise? I could get buttons and put it on my shirt and say, hello, I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? Awkward. I'm done with awkward. I'm really done with awkward. All that repelling people in those angry spouts and doing those awkward things from my past. I didn't want to do awkward anymore. Said there's got to be a better way. So I just realized at that time that that games, just any type of game, brought our family together. Even as dysfunctional as we were as a family growing up, there was still a smack talk. There was still put downs. There was still a high, a very aggressive competition, and there was still the strategy. All those things in the angry culture, there's still that, that there. But games brought us family together. So I contacted Dr. Chapman and asked him if he's licensing those little pictures that they had for for the love languages. And he, his attorney wrote back and said, "No, we're not doing that at this time." So I contacted my own attorney here and asked, told him the idea. He said, "Theory, like the love language theory, is not copyrightable." application is so they didn't have it as a game so that's how i made made it into a game with the cube and you know i've got all the love language on there's six sides on the cube the sixth side actually is what i call surprise me it's a hand holding a question mark so on that day when you roll that on that day you're watching for opportunities to do random acts of kindness but over a 30-day period you learn all five love languages so that youtube can become a love language linguist. I know it's a sexy title, Drew. You want it? You want to put it on your resume. When you, when you put it on your resume and you go to that employer, that employer's is going to say, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you're going to say, I just love people. That employer wants their customers loved and, and they want a loving environment within the workplace. Your resume should rise to the top just because of those two things. Yeah,
0: I do like the title. And for those men on dating apps, uh, they can use that as a profile title for sure. So it does sound like you broke some sort of a generational pattern or perhaps a curse. Uh, Sometimes we carry that and uh, you certainly broke that. Now, I want to ask you about um, men as well. So why do men struggle in expressing and receiving love?
1: great question drew and and i think that it has to do with exactly what i went through when i was at my sister in law's house i denied The fact that we came from an angry and i think there's a lot of denial that that men have they want to be that macho they want they don't want to be appear weak in any any sense and i think that's part of our nature just part of our the makeup that we have is that we need to appear macho because that's what men do and and we just want to be macho and i think that that's that's a struggle uh one of the things that helped me through the struggle Drew, and I'm not sure if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter, but it's a Christian teaching that that really helped to me. And it's at the Last Supper, Jesus says, "One of you is going to betray me," and all the disciples, one by one, all of them, one by one, said, "Lord, is it I?" And I think that if we if we say that question daily to ourselves, "Lord, is it I?" We'll have that that's a humble enough uh, feeling for ourselves to know that we have other things that we can learn. We don't know everything, but we have other things that we can learn. And I think that when we get to that point of of asking that same question, Lord is it I, that's that introspection we need to be able to have that ability to have that self-actualization moment, that then we can know where we're at. If we don't know where we're at, Drew, we can't set goals to be improved, but that knowing where we're at at any point in time, is the ability to be able to set goals to improve from right where we're at. And I think that's that's difficult for a lot of men trying to determine emotionally what their emotional intelligence quotient might be to know right where they're at. And that's hard for them to improve from that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. There's something about masculine nature, about us appearing strong, uh, macho, showing certain emotions, would be a sign of weakness. Now, I I wouldn't say that men should show too many emotions because sometimes it can make the other the opposite sex less attractive to the man. But I do think some form of healthy expression is is good. And I think I can relate to you as well. Uh, you mentioned you had uh, ten other siblings; you're eleven in total. Uh, so probably it was very much about you know speaking over other people, making sure that you had presence somewhere. Similarly, we're three brothers as well, and there's a lot of masculine energy. And so somewhere we need to speak over the other person as well. And over time, it becomes a habit. But like you're saying, at some point, we need to just sit still and introspect about why we are where we are and where we want to go from that point onwards.
1: Absolutely. I think that that midlife crisis for me was that realization that I need to become more loving. I'm not, I don't want to become more angry. But I realized that I had to stop blaming my father for all the awkward moments. And it was about 35 years old that I stopped blaming him. Any kind of blame that we pass, it means that we don't have to change. We don't have to do a darn thing to change anything because it's their fault. Go talk to them because it's their fault. And rather than take responsibility ourselves for our own actions. That occurred for me, that paradigm shift or that aha moment, that epiphany, so to speak, was at age 35 for me hopefully we can teach children to do it a whole lot earlier that to have that idea that they're responsible for their own actions they're responsible for their own words and then it would really i think it would tamp down a lot of misbehaving a lot of bullying that happens in schools a lot of the violence that is going on in the schools and in the world today if we can teach the children that they're responsible for their own behavior
0: yeah, 100% agree. And I also feel that um, when we take, I don't want to say start blaming ourselves, but rather take accountability for things that are happening in our own lives. When, once we start taking accountability upon ourselves, then there's a great sense of relief as well. It's uh, quite relaxing in some strange way.
1: Absolutely. I, and I, I really believe that, especially if you're sending out love, you're sending out love and that's your mantra to do that, now what you're doing, especially, and what what the attitude change was for me, Drew, is that instead of being critical, that's part of the angry culture, that you're critical of everyone, everything, everyone. Instead of saying in my mind or out loud, what's wrong with that person? Now it's changed to the exact opposite. What's right with that person? What can I love about that person? And I'm looking the whole different direction now. Instead of focusing on the 10 or 20 percent of the, the, that person that might, be, everybody has weaknesses. That may, 10 or 20 percent might be a weaknesses, or 80 percent or 90 percent of that person is good. And so now that I'm focused on the 80 to 90 percent instead of the 10 or 20 percent, I'm so busy I forget to be annoyed. So no longer am I stacking annoyance on on top of annoyance and getting to that flash of anger, but I'm stacking kindness upon kindness upon kindness, getting to higher laws of love. Higher laws of love like charity or like compassion or like forgiveness. Goodness sakes, can you imagine somebody insulting, 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 and then asking for forgiveness? Is it going to be granted? Probably not. But kindness on kindness on kindness on kindness gets to that point of empathy or sympathy or mercy and that forgiveness. That's kind of where we want, we need to go there as a society, be more forgiving one to another.
0: I think you say. Very wise words, Paul. So let's put that, let's give a a bit more, a a practical example. So if a couple, say, are arguing and the discussion is getting a bit heated from one person, so can the other person, should the other person essentially try to stay calm and view that environment or that situation from a kind, loving eyes? And if one stays calm, then perhaps we can avoid any formal argument or altercation.
1: I think that's a great, great idea, Drew, and, and that's that's one way. The other, the other way is to watch for what's right about that person. And, and if arguments happen within couples, it's because the, there's a communication problem. This cube can can be a very good tool to help solve some of that communication problem. Because think about it. If you know all five love languages to give it away, that gives you a peripheral vision now, that you can see it when it comes your way, and then you can respond appropriately. For example, if I'm physical touch and somebody sends words, you can say something like, oh, I see they're loving on me. It's not my primary love language, but I can respond back to that love that people are sending. And I know, Drew, in my whole life, I've missed a lot of opportunities where people were sending love my way. I didn't see it as love. I thought, well, that's nice, but it's not really love. Now you can see it as love, and, and then respond appropriately to that, even though it might not be your primary love language. And it's, it's okay to share it, share what your primary love language is, but I really like the idea of watching people light up. And that's the whole idea now. You're trying to make people's day, whether it's your significant other or any stranger. You could do it at a clerk at the grocery store. doesn't matter who you're lighting up. Try to light people up.
0: Very wise words, Paul. And this is the whole mission of this podcast is to take midlife men or bring new knowledge to midlife men so that they can have another shot at life and really make a difference to their families and society at large. So very wise words. Thanks for that, Paul. And I want to move on to uh, judgment because you mentioned that in your book. So what is the relationship between judgment and love? Can you love and be judgmental at the same time or not possible.
1: Again, let's go back to the spectrum. When you're judgmental, usually it's in a critical way. I would say that's more of an angry side. You're trying, to, you're trying to make a decision for another person or make an assessment of another person when most of the time it's not none of your business. It's their choice. And I realized that angry people and, and in that angry culture, there were no boundaries, zero boundaries at all. So, I really, had to drew, I really had to draw that boundary more of a hard boundary for myself because I was used to anything goes. And I, we're almost to a society of anything goes. That's an angry culture. There's that boundary that you can't be looking over your shoulder or looking to the side at what someone else is doing and make a judgment call and make a criticism or, or anything like that. It's not your call, it's out of your lane stay in your lane your lane is to send love out and respond appropriately when it comes your way it's, it has nothing to do with being critical of that person or I, what i found drew was that i realized that that first annoyance was about somebody that somebody else hardly ever was i ever annoyed about myself you know how how, how would that be well i was annoyed about myself for One one time so bad that I didn't talk to myself for three days. How's that going to go?
0: Yeah, that would. You need to talk to yourself sometimes, Paul.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you, Drew. I appreciate that wise advice.
0: Yeah, just coming back to the uh, judgment side of things, I can relate to that. When I went through my divorce uh, many years back, that divorce was quite bitter, and. After that divorce, after the divorce went through, I went through a period where I didn't trust women, except my mother. It was the only woman I trusted. But other than that, I didn't trust women. I was very judgmental. I somehow managed to find faults in everybody or whoever I was dating at that time. And also, as a result, I wasn't getting any love from any of the women. Uh, of course, I could date and it would be enjoyable for a few weeks or months but i wasn't finding that romantic love and equally i wasn't giving that romantic love it was almost like i was stuck somewhere until i met somebody and i think she was a catalyst some in back in 2020 that changed my perception and she eventually dumped me and you never know why you get dumped when you're getting dumped but it takes about a year to figure out why you're getting dumped and i realized after about a year why i got dumped and it was because she was showing expressing so much love to me but i didn't know how to receive it and therefore couldn't give it back and i had some sort of an epiphany as well and i realized that after reading certain books that i need to change my ways i need to open up a bit more and guess what happens once you start expressing love then people show you love in their own way whether it's a clerk in a shop or somebody at your workplace you start experiencing it a lot more so i think that experience changed my life a lot
1: yeah, absolutely Drew and I appreciate that that personal experience my mine, mine is very very similar that in, until I realized that anger was a problem until I actually had that that I, I agreed with my sister-in-law because I got angry when she said we're angry we're angry we definitely are angry when I realized that that really was a kind of a generational thing that had been passed on. Maybe we could call it a tradition of our fathers a tradition of our forefathers that had been passed on. That is incorrect, that it's not a good idea to just have this angry attitude about life. Because it's like, if you send anger out, it's like that a boomerang. That's coming right back at you. And you, when you send a boomerang out, you usually throw it up into the air. When it comes back, it has the gravity g-force G and it makes it come a lot faster right back at you. You're not going to want to catch it. You're not going to want to have it hit your neck to chop your head off. You're not going to want any of that. But it comes back about anger sent out comes back back about 10 times worse than, than you sent it out. Why would anybody choose to do that? But we do it all the time. We send that judgment or that anger out or that criticism out all day long um, because we're trained by the media. That's what the media does. They do it, but we got to we got to change something up or we're going to have really a lot more troubles than we have in the world. I mean, we're already at war in several parts of the world. We got to let's let's stop let's start start using our head being more decent to one another
0: absolutely not only are we in the midst of hot wars but i think we are in the midst of a spiritual war as well and uh, what you say in your book and what you said on this podcast are very valuable and it's something we should take note of and really start changing the way we live
1: absolutely and i think that this is perfect for a midlife crisis too that just learn how to love a whole lot better if there's anything you could do in your midlife up until that midlife Maybe, maybe you loved it, but try to be 1% better per day. Each day, try to be just a little bit better. Maybe you're a loving person right now, and, and but you just need to try to improve yourself. When I created this, Drew, like you, I was single. And I realized I have a lot of improving to do before I'm even eligible to be able to go out and find someone someone else to date that I really needed to... Take care of what's my own my own business first, and get get to the point that I felt like I could send out love. I could recognize love. That when I was single, that's when I created the die, and that's that's when I just wrote the book last year. So I'm married, happily married, been married for six years now. But but you know, just using this really has been very helpful for me to understand my my wife and what she likes, and just be able to. Just take the mental note of what she likes. Mix it up. The, th- the nice thing about the, the cube is that it provides variety, variety in your life. If you pigeonhole someone in anything, I don't care what it is, you pigeonhole them, put them in a box They say you're only getting this kind of love. It's like giving them, you only have tacos for dinner every night, every night. Oh, you get tired of it after a while. Change it up. Provide that variety is going to be the spice of life. Change it up and the die will help you or the cube will help you do that
0: and where can people find or buy that die
1: They can they can find the die on my website it's rolloflove.com r o l e of love.com and but the book for people international it's it's probably better to do it like you did Drew and go go ahead and go on Amazon just type in my name on Amazon and then the book will come right up. There's an audio version of the book or the printed version. In addition to that, there's there's a journal. So if you if you want to keep track and keep and and keep yourself keep your feet to the fire on that responsibility of loving every single day, the journal is perfect. Inside the journal, it has what you rolled, opportunities you saw to love in that way, and what you did about those opportunities. It has little prompts inside the journal. I found, Drew, that when I looked at a blank page for a journal, my mind would go blank. I couldn't remember what I'd done that day. And maybe that's what happened with my mother or my grandmother or my grandfather. What I got for journal from them was a journal about the weather. The weather! 60 years ago. Who cares about what the weather was like 60 years ago? I would have loved to have a love journal from them.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're reaching the end of the podcast but I always ask my guests for some takeaways so what takeaways can you give my listeners who are typically midlife men
1: drew there's just one thing that I'd really like to say and it really comes um, from the sound of music it's a classic musical people all, heard of all over the world but In that classic musical, Rolf, who's the delivery man that rides the bike and and makes all the deliveries, is in love with the oldest von von Trapp sister. And so he's there at their house, and she's up on the second-story window. He starts to sing a song, and in that song come the lyrics. Love in the heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love till it's given away.
0: Fantastic. What a beautiful note to end the podcast on. Well, Paul, this has been very insightful. Thank you very much. And I strongly recommend to my listeners to read this book. It's a it's a short book, small book, but it's very valuable. Thanks once again, Paul.
1: Thank you, Drew. Absolutely. Pleasure to be with you.
0: Today. You've been listening to the
1: Midlife Masculine
0: Podcast. Find us on MLMpod.info and all major podcast platforms. Please like, share, subscribe, and hit